Thank you for joining us on It Is Written Canada. You know, for some of us, there are stories, hidden stories, that we cannot speak about. And ironically, we can't stop thinking about them. Like, how do you move forward when the people you trusted failed you? Rima Sukumaran is here with us today. She is the mother of six. She is also an author and a speaker, and she has a riveting story. Her husband, Sanj, is a doctor of audiology, and he's also a professional musician. And both of them have come to join us today here at It Is Written Canada. So Sanj and uh, Rima, I'd like to welcome you here. Thank and you. Uh, we would like to talk to you and, uh, and share your story with others. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yes, welcome Rima and Sanj. So Rima, to start off with, I have a question for you. So every little girl has a dream of what her life is going to be like one day when she grows up. So can you share your dreams that you had as a little girl? Ever since I was a little girl, I had dreamed of a happy family. Mm -hmm. um, in my family, my husband was hardworking. He brought home a great paycheck and I was a stay-at-home mom with a whole bunch of kids. And um, I always had this vision of us traveling around the country in an RV. And um, it was a family just that was full of a lot of joy. And um, I think I had that um, dream because my reality was very different. Oh, okay. Can you tell us about your reality and why it was so different? Yeah. So my mom and dad immigrated from India to Canada. Mm -hmm. And um, my mom was a nurse and my dad was a coal porter. And um, from a very, from very early in their marriage, my dad was very abusive to my mom. He was very physically, emotionally, um, spiritually abusive to her. And that abuse carried out into um, our family, into the children as they had uh, my, myself and my two brothers. Hmm. And um, so our home was a place that we feared. Now at the same time, I don't think that we really realized that this wasn't the norm. Um, this is what we grew up with, and um, you know, you have secrets, and so you don't really talk about it past our four walls. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, what was happening within your home? Um, did you have a relationship with Jesus? Did you was it a Christian home? Mm -hmm. um, what was happening? So, um, we were a Christian home, but we were also a very religious home. And I've learned as an adult, there's quite a difference between being spiritual and being religious. Mm. Uh, my dad was very religious, and we um, had morning and evening worship. We memorized memory verses. And um, at the same time, I had a very close relationship with Jesus. Um, he was my invisible friend. And he was someone that I could talk to. Um, whenever things were bad, um, I always would pray, Jesus, okay, after this beating, can we now be a happy family? After this beating? After this beating. Oh, yeah. that is so sad. Mm -hmm. So, Rima, how did you break free from this childhood home, this awful experience that you were having? So. Um, at some point, I realized that um, I had to leave home to break free of that. Um, my parents, we left Canada and we moved to um, Florida. We lived there for three years. And our time in Florida was a really happy time for me. I mean, we, the abuse was going on, but probably not to the extent um, that it would later on in life. Um, and after Florida, we moved to the Midwest. And it was at this, um, at this time that my dad became very volatile, more so with um, us as well as my mom. He never really hit us as much as my mom earlier on, but um, in high school it started. We moved to the Midwest and we lived in a city where everyone was predominantly white and upper mid middle class. And um, it was very cliquish and the families and the students in our high school, it was very hard to fit in. Mm. 
Um, for me, high school was a nightmare. Um, if I had a superpower at that time, it would have been to be invisible. Mm -hmm. um, we kind of, I felt like I was watching from, you know, the, this wall, watching everyone live a normal life. And meanwhile, our life at home was a living nightmare. Uh, my dad became very, very abusive uh, to the children as well as my mom. Um, I kind of realized that at some point that my little happy family wasn't going to be re a, a reality. Um, for that to happen, my father would have had to take some blame and sought help. Um, so my escape was leaving for university. Um, I was very excited about leaving, but at the same time, I was very scared because I had never been away from home that long. Uh, my two younger brothers and I had a very close relationship, and so leaving them behind was very, very hard for me to do because I was worried about who was going to protect them. Mm, and you can't protect them. You're mm -hmm. the, the yeah. older sister. Yes. And now you're going off to university. Yes. What's mm -hmm. going to happen to my brothers? Yes. Yeah. yes. Mm -hmm. um, so I went away to university, and um, it was okay for my brothers in the sense that they grew up in uh, they grew in stature, and so um, they outgrew my dad. And so my dad wasn't very physical with them at this point, but very emotionally abusive. Mm. Um, and my mom. You know, she found work as her escape. She was a nurse and she worked a lot of hours, partly because my father didn't work. Um, he chose to work on and off when, he, when the feeling hit him. And so my mom was the sole provider. Um, when I went to, away to university, I entered this whole new world. And it was just, um, it was just an exciting time in life. Mm. You know, I found um, that I could fit in. There were other people like me. Um, it didn't matter how much money my parents had, what their job was. It didn't matter about, um, you know, how good my grades were. They didn't know anything about me. And I found a very loving, um, accepting group of friends. That's wonderful. And is that the university that you were at, Sarge? It actually is. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where you got to first acquainted yeah, with each other, yeah, right? Yeah, we became so. friends. We became friends at the university and uh, maintained a friendship for many years to come. Oh, wow. Okay. Did you start dating right away? Um, so that's a funny story. Yeah. You mean us <laughs> so, or just dating? Um, <laughs> are you talking about us? Yes. Okay, no. So my freshman year, um, I actually saw Sanj in a hallway. And I said hi to him, but he says he didn't remember that. So I thought he was really snotty and just kind of brushed him aside. But um, there were a lot of other um, ethnicities on campus. So that was exciting for me, coming from a predominantly white um, town where mm -hmm. we did not fit in you know yeah. so no we did not uh start dating then but a friendship started while we were in university and it, mm -hmm. it grew yeah that's wonderful mm -hmm. so. we're still friends yeah <laughs> <laughs> so how did you move forward after university so um in university i took education mm -hmm. and um, i had changed my major um, some point in the middle. So I still had to do one more semester, which was my student teaching. And um, I chose to go home to do that. My youngest brother was in high school. And despite home being a place of abuse, it was still home. It's mm -hmm. all you knew. It's all I knew. Sure. And so, you know, it was still a place that um, was safe to me. Mm -hmm. um, I chose to go home and um, I student taught actually at the same school that I went to. Um, it was a it was an interesting choice because the elementary school was nothing that I had been a part of. Mm -hmm. And the high school um, was very much the same, but it was not a part of where I was going to be. So it was okay. I love student teaching. I loved um, the teacher that I worked under. And on the weekends, I often hung out with my youngest brother. 
he he had much different experience than me. He was social, he was outgoing, and um, he just had a great group of friends. He was very accepted. And um, I chose go to go back to um, the same school because it had an elementary section. Um, I wasn't a part of that, and it was just a totally different um, environment. And so I chose to do my student teaching um, at this school. My brother was part of the SA, um, SA group. The Students Association. The Students Association, yes. Yeah. And he was the chaplain, the student chaplain. Um, I went through Christian schooling my whole entire school, so elementary to university. I, I did keep, I went to Christian school. So um, he was a student chaplain, and the chaplain at the school was someone that was loved by everybody. He was just this kind, loving man. Um, he seemed to just have Jesus shining through him. And um, my brother has just adored him. So he was your brother's mentor? Yes. Okay. He so was you, my brother's mentor. Okay, Actually, yeah. he was both my brother's mentor, my first and second brothers, because they were both in high school at the same time. Mm -hmm. And um, he, my brothers had confided in him, so he kind of knew what was going on with the family, and um, he just knew how to embrace them. Mm -hmm. And. Um, the last year, so my second brother went to university, and the last year my youngest brother was there. Um, that's when I did my student teaching, so we hung out a lot. Um, I helped my brother and his friends and pastor um, do evening programs, do vespers, do youth rallies, um, and I had a lot of time on my hands, so it was great. Um, he had a young son. His son was about three years old. His wife, he was married, ha happily married with a wife that was a nurse. And she worked 3 to 11, and so she was never around. And he would bring his son to the school, and a lot of kids loved watching his son. And I was one of those uh, people that helped with his son. So he, in actual fact, became a spiritual mentor to you too. Yes. And this was the same one that your brother was working very closely with uh, the chaplain yes. of the school. Yes. So, so he really took your family under his wings and yes. under his care, right? He did. Our family really trusted him, um, mm -hmm. even my mom. Um, she really trusted him. And so he um, was able to draw me in, realizing that I had broken up um, in a relationship at university, not Sanj, but someone before him. And I was heartbroken and he just knew how to be there for me. You know, I didn't have a father um, my whole life and mm -hmm. he just kind of seemed like this loving, kind um, man, someone I would have loved to have been my father. Mm -hmm. You know, growing up, I always looked at pastors and teachers as these amazing godly men mm -hmm. and always wished my dad had been um, a, a dad like that. Lucky. So they were yeah. people that I looked up to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, so he was able to um, just be there for me and I trusted him. Um, eventually with time, um, I just started feeling a little uneasy because he started saying little things. Now he was very affectionate with all the kids in school. Mm -hmm. um, he was affectionately known as pastor. No one called him by his name, the staff, the teachers. He was known as pastor. It would it wasn't uncommon to see a girl in his office leaning against him. Um, he often would kiss girls on the cheek and very physical, very physical with them. But that seemed to be the norm. Mm -hmm. um, we came to the point where we developed a friendship and I felt very comfortable with him. Um, he knew all about my parents. He knew about my um, yearning for my dad and how much I'd been hurt by my dad. Um, he seemed to understand my broken heart and I was very lonely at that time because all my um, friends at school, we had all moved to different parts of the, um, the, 
the U.S. after graduation. Mm -hmm. um, one day he asked me to um, come and babysit. Actually, his wife asked me to come babysit, and I went and loved um, loved, loved their son. And, you know, babysitting was kind of cool because I could kind of play house with the little boy, and, mm -hmm. you know, some of my fantasy kind of was uh, playing out there of being a mom, maybe. Um, so I babysit a few times, and um, one of the um, evenings, the wife asked if I could babysit again, and I went over, and Pastor came home early, and he was packing for a trip, and um, he said, why don't you come and keep me company? Let me put the baby in, he wasn't a baby, he was three, four years old. He said, let me put him in the bathtub, and keep me company, and I'll pay you when I'm done. And so by this point, I had no, um, reservations. I was very comfortable with him. I was just chatting. Um, he had his stuff in the in the guest room and so I was sitting on the bed there and talking about his trip. And the next thing I know he was on top of me. Mm. And um, I was maybe 105 pounds. I was very, very tiny. And he was on top of me and I begged him to stop and I told him I was a virgin and that he was hurting me. And um, the next thing I know I was being raped. Mm. Um, I have no real memory of how I got home um, that night. I know I drove there, but um, I, I know I drove to his place, so obviously I drove home, but that is um, the only way I know I, I got home. I went home and I went into the bathroom and um, sat on the toilet and I looked at my panties and the tattertail blood was there. I just lost my virginity. I'm not sure how long I sat there, except my brother came banging on the bathroom door telling me he needs to use the bathroom. Um, I went to my bedroom and I was standing on the, uh, standing beside my dresser and I knew in my gut I should call the police. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was, I was in shock, I was angry, um, and I should have called the police. And yet, as quickly as I thought about calling the police, that um, thought went away. Mm. Um, there was um, one time in particular, my youngest brother had gone to the bathroom and he flushed the toilet and he dropped the toilet seat. Most of our kids drop the toilet seat. It makes that loud bang. Um, my dad came running from the kitchen and started screaming to my brother and said, how many times have I told you not to drop the toilet seat lid? I'm going to teach you a lesson. And he grabbed my brother. He locked the bathroom door and he started beating my brother. Hmm. And my mom, um, you know, she went to the bathroom and she was trying to undo the lock. And he said, if you come in here, I'm going to kill you. Hmm. And by this time, my other brother went and got the butter knife and my mom unscrewed the door and he grabbed her by the hair and he started beating her with a two by four. Hmm. So did you call the police? I called the police, but by this time my dad started to calm down and the police came in and we, he, they took their notes. They saw my mom's black and blue legs. They asked us about what happened. And the next thing I knew is that the police and my dad were sitting at the table discussing the woes of having wives and how hard it was to deal with them and marriage and just all that. So this was an experience you had as a child. Yes. And now after um, you've been abused, you've been raped by this, by this leader, um, you, you now think to yourself, I, sh I should call the police. Mm -hmm. But then 
automatically you say, no, I can't because I can't trust the police. Right. Mm -hmm. Because and of your association that you had as a little girl. So you're like, right. no, I'm not going to call them because what's the use, right? That's right. So, and actually, I wasn't a little girl when that happened. I was actually 16 oh. when oh. we yeah. called the police. So I was very aware of what was happening. Right. And as my dad would drive around town, we would see this police and they would wave to each other oh. as they passed each other. Okay. So mm -hmm. for me, I knew the police were not to be trusted. Um, and um, I just kept it a secret. Mm -hmm. I didn't tell anyone. And um, it was a very lonely, lonely, scary time for me. Mm -hmm. um, for how long did you keep this in before you even told someone? Like I would say probably a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. um, probably a couple of weeks. And um, I ended up telling um, a couple of girlfriends of mine. And... Um, Basically, nothing happened. Um, we were all at that age where, what did you do? You know, and I asked him not to tell their parents because I was scared. Um, it was his word against mine. And what would people say? They wouldn't believe him. He was loved by our whole community. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes it's hard to see God in this whole thing. And I will say that I had a little temper tantrum with God for a short period of time. Um, of how this could happen because I had been a good girl my whole entire life. I, I lived by the book, probably from fear of being beat by my dad, but at the same time, I always did the right thing. Um, as, as God had it, I was able to go to um, Maryland and do one more co course through the mail. And so I was able to leave, um, leave the town. Mm. And um, I finished my course and this pastor still kept in touch with me. He acted like nothing happened. Um, you know, sometimes what people don't understand is, why did you keep in touch with him? But you know what? After something horrific like that happens, why not? You've lost everything anyways, mm -hmm. you know? And so I just felt like I had nothing to lose. Who is going to believe me, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so I moved and I finished my, um, finished my coursework. And in August, I went back to my university and I was going to graduate. And um, Sanj actually ended up coming for that, um, that weekend too. And um, I will add here that, um, as I said, I, I have a very close relationship with God and I loved Sanj forever, like mm. from my freshman year. Mm. And um, I would doodle in my books instead of studying, I would doodle in my books <laughs> and draw little hearts and I love Sanj. And, and you know, if you read my journals, they're so embarrassing, but I would actually say, please God, could I have him? I want him. <laughs> and you know, I'm sure God was just chuckling, you know, it's in his time, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, my graduation weekend, we got together and um, we started dating and we dated for two years. Mm -hmm. And during this time, um, I had confided in Sanj before we started dating that I was raped. And it was just one of those things like, none of us knew, knew what to do, what to say. You know, mm. he was there for me, but um, none of us knew what to do with that. And it must have been so difficult for you, Sanj. You know, you at that, I don't even think it registered on me the, the depth of how horrible it was at that time, right? Mm -hmm. We were friends at the time. It's like, what do I do? Mm. It's, it's a difficult time in life. Your, your life is so centered around you, right? In those, in those, those years, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't think I understood it as I do now, obviously, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you were um, friends for two years. And then did you pop the question then? 
Sanj, mm. often. So we were friends for many years before well, we started okay. dating, yeah. and mm. then we dated for two years. And, okay. And then yes, I did pop the question. <laughs> <laughs> and she said yes. Yes, surprisingly, <laughs> right? <laughs> so now this is good. This is now taken this complication to the next level now because now you're going to get married yes. and you know that this has yeah. happened to her, right? So yes. obviously this is going to affect your marriage in some way, yeah, right? Yeah, we understood that. And we, mm -hmm. you know, before we got married, we started uh, some premarital counseling with our church pastor who we, we kind of knew. And, mm -hmm. and um, so he, we actually spoke about it and he, Rima brought it up and said, this is something we probably need to deal with, right? Before we get married. Because it was one of those things that was always underlying, but you didn't understand how much was affecting your relationship. Mm -hmm. But it was there, right? Mm -hmm. And so we felt like before we get married, this is something we really need to work through and deal with. We're not going to hide from this thing. If you know anything about Rima, you don't know she will never hide from anything. She <laughs> confronts everything head on. <laughs> mm -hmm. So that's kind of what we were doing with the pastor at the time. We are kind of working through that, right? Mm -hmm. I think the straw that broke the camel's back for us was that um, a weekend at church, the pastor was um, in the same town talking to um, the students at one of the Christian schools by us. And I was scared because I didn't want to see him and Sanj wanted to hurt him, which probably would have not been legal. Not good. And so it really started something uh, between us that we knew we needed to seek help, and which is when we went and, and talked to the pastor. And I actually went, our marriage counselor, and I actually went and I shared my story with him. And he was just appalled. He said, Rima, you have to do something about it mm. and I will help you. Um, no one has ever said that to me, ever. You know, um, we lived with, I lived with abuse. I lived with a dad that was beating me and not one person stepped up. And our school community did know my dad was being very abusive to us. Mm -hmm. um, there was a lot of things that were known that nobody, mm -hmm. nobody stepped up to. So when he said that, um, it really was um, life-changing for me that he cared enough to do something about this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, from that point on, what ended up happening is he asked me to do a um, recording um, call the pastor and do a recording of him. And um, that was the hardest thing. I think that was the scariest thing I've ever done. Next to this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but it was back in the day. So we had the tape recorder and we had the landline. And so, and I was actually living in Ottawa by myself. And Sanj was um, in Toronto. And so we were dating long distance. I was all alone in my apartment. I put the phone there and I kind of practiced a few times because I did, I was so scared he'd know I was taping him. And um, I called the pastor and, um, you know, as he always was, he was very charismatic and, you know, oh, it's so lovely to hear from you, you know. Um, and during that time, I said, you know, I'm getting married and there's just a few things that I really need to um, resolve for myself and I need to ask you a few things. Um, my biggest regret in that conversation is I wish I had called him out on raping me. But what I said to him was, um, you took my virginity away without my consent. Mm. In the recording, which was probably about 15 minutes, he never once denied it. Mm. Um, we talked about a lot of things, but he never once denied um, raping me. Um, as we ended the conversation, um, we took the tape, tape back to our pastor, to our, our counselor, and he called the um, school that um, the pastor was working at. And he let them know that this is what happened. Pastor denied it, of course. And then when they said there was a tape recording, he immediately confessed and he said, um, what would they like? 
And so at this point, being young and naive in our early 20s and 30s, we didn't know what to ask. Um, so we asked that he turned in his ministerial license and not um, be allowed in our church system anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and that he wouldn't contact you. That's right. And he wouldn't contact me. Mm. And um, so he did do that. But um, the interesting thing is that um, he was asked if he could, sorry, he asked if he could write a letter to the school community. And in the letter, he wrote that um, around this time that his mom had died and a young lady had come into his life and taken advantage of him. Mm. And so he made a mistake and he had to deal with the consequences. So he was going to resign. Not only did he resign, but the principal, who was one of his closest friends, wrote him a glowing recommendation. Um, so he was able to move on. So Rima, you know the difference today, that there's a difference between one man and another man, between one pastor and another pastor, between one police officer and another police mm -hmm. officer, um, and the church. How do you relate to your church today? And what has it helped you to do in relating to others who are victims of abuse? Well, after this happened, I begged God to somehow use this pain because I felt like if he was using my pain, that pain would have not been wasted. Yes. Mm -hmm. And um, I know that this has happened to many people and that I could help them mm -hmm. um, with God's power. But um, 25 years went by and, you know, I didn't understand why God wasn't putting something in place or why he wasn't using my pain. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so 25 years later, my youngest brother uh, moved out west and he was the ministerial director and asked me if I would come and share my story at um, one of the pastoral meetings. And um, it was the first time I ever shared it. I was shaking. I was scared to death because I was speaking to a room full of pastors. Hmm. And, um, you know, God does amazing, amazing things. But um, I ended it by telling them that it's been 25 years and not one person from my church has ever said they were sorry. Not one person from my church ever reached out to me. And um, it was very emotional, mm -hmm. um, you know, and I sat down. And um, at that moment, the conference president stood up and he took the mic from my brother. And he came to me and he stood beside me or stood in front of me and he said, you want to you want an apology from your church? And he said, um, I, as a minister of the gospel of this church, am sorry. Mm. And it was a very powerful moment uh, for me. Um, I didn't realize that I needed that, but it was the start of healing for me. It was mm. a huge moment and um, it was the start. Wow. Well, Rima, unfortunately, we've run out of time, <laughs> and, but we are going to continue with your story in the next episode. And in the next episode, we are going to share uh, more of, of Sanja's side of the story as well. So friends, uh, we thank you for joining us. Next time, I just encourage you to, to be here next week as we uh, continue with, with Rima and Sanja's story. We're going to look at, at how God has led them to experience healing, to lead others to experience healing, uh, forgiveness, and, and look at, at how um, we can be aware of how much those who are vulnerable and hurting in our society need to be protected. And so let's just close with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, uh, for your healing. We thank you that each of us is created in the image of God. And uh, Jesus said, what you have done to the least of these, you have done it unto me. And I thank you, Lord, for identifying yourself with those who have been hurt 
And, uh, and Lord, I, I pray that you can help us to bring healing to others uh, through your name. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Friends, thank you for joining us. And let me just remind you again of the words of Jesus when he said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to watch a video of this podcast, please visit iiw.ca. Or you can go to IIW Canada YouTube and click on the videos tab. Once again, thank you so much for listening.